Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word as we continue together forward in the book of Acts. I'll be reading from verses 12 through to verse 32 of chapter 5, the verses of focus being there, verses 17 through 21. The title of today's sermon is The Futility of Rebellion Against God. Please listen carefully because this is God's holy and infallible word. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together, with all the elders of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely, and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Pastor Jack Miller wrote in one of his books, How does the grace of God work in our lives? Martin Luther said that to understand God's grace, you should picture yourself as a caterpillar that's trying to crawl out from inside a ring of fire. Grace is when someone picks you up and carries you over the fire. You can't save yourself. Your only help is from above. To get grace, you have to start by admitting that you are caught in a ring of fire with no hope of saving yourself. You have to know that you have a desperate need and that only Jesus Christ has the power to pick you up and to save you. So, in today's sermon, we're going to connect this idea of the gospel, the essence of the gospel, how we are saved, our total inability to save ourselves with passion, with zeal. 
and examine ourselves by God's grace in, the, in light of this. Have you ever considered the source of your passion <clears throat> when you are zealous? Where does it come from? What outcome are you seeking when you become passionate, when you become zealous, when you speak up, when you insert yourself into a situation? What are you after? Why do you do it? Do you have a biblically informed zeal that is based upon faith in Christ and that seeks His glory? Or perhaps you have a mixed zeal, partly coming forth from your flesh, partly from faith in Christ, but also partly motivated by selfishness and by building up your own kingdom. We'll look at these verses, verse 17 through 21, and we'll see an obvious example of sinful zeal. And we'll take a look at the zeal of the Lord that overcomes, and then the zeal of the Lord's people, and then this giant, obvious concept that it is futile to rebel against God. And then some questions to know and to love and to obey God. So, first of all, about sinful zeal, we see that there's deception involved. There's a lack of accurate knowledge involved in this kind of sinful zeal. The text says, Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. And this word indignation is the word for zeal. So the apostate Jewish leaders, you've got to think about this. Think about how blinded they are. They're so blinded by their false beliefs that they're unable to see the kingdom of God coming from heaven right before their eyes, right in the streets of Jerusalem and the surrounding towns. They had to walk past all these people from time to time. They saw the mighty work of God. They heard what was happening. Neither widespread healings or total victory over demonic forces They would not let this evidence into their minds. Nor did they give any credence to the multitudes flowing into God's church. They didn't see any of this as God's work. They're locked up in the mind prison of their own self-deception. Commentary says the high priest was the ringleader, Annas or Caiaphas. We don't know for sure whether they were referring in this text to the technical high priest or to the prior high priest who was still living going on in the commentary. High priests saw their wealth and dignity, their power and tyranny, that is, they're all at stake and inevitably lost if the spiritual and heavenly doctrine of Christ should get ground and prevail among the people. Those that were most forward to join with the high priest herein were the sect of the Sadducees, we are told, who had a particular enmity to the gospel of Christ because it confirmed and established the doctrine of the invisible world, the resurrection of the dead, and the future state, all of which the Sadducees denied. It is not strange if men of no religion be bigoted in their opposition to true and pure religion. So we saw much about the Pharisees throughout the ministry of Christ, but as he comes, as the church is now burgeoning in Jerusalem, the power center of the Sadducees we see the Sadducees coming forth as opponents of the gospel. And so this word, indignation, in the Greek there is zelos. And it means excitement of mind and zelos. You can see zeal coming from that. It means excitement of mind. It means ardor. It means fervor of spirit. And it really can be a zeal towards anything, defending or pursuing anything. It can also carry the concept of envy and rivalry and jealousy, which is probably a part, maybe even the majority of what's being referenced with the Sadducees here in this situation. Uh, But in either case, we know that this is sinful zeal and it probably does contain some envy and some jealousy from the Sadducees. So when you look around in the New Testament, this word zeal, this word indignation, what can we learn about this concept? Romans 10, 1 through 4 is very helpful. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel 
is that they may be saved. So Paul is hopeful that those like the Sadducees who are behaving this way would be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. And this is the word there, zealous. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And there's the key idea. Not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So we need to see a couple of key ideas here. Anyone can have zeal and even zeal for the one true God. What Paul says here, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is they may be saved for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. They have zeal for the one true God. And yet, this person with the zeal for the one true God can simultaneously be deceived and dangerous to God's church. You, me, we can have a zeal for God and be deceived and be dangerous to God's church. Where does this come from? The zeal of self-deception arises from a different motive than the godly zeal of Christ and that zeal of Christ that he shares with his people. When we're walking in the godly zeal, we're sharing in Christ's passion. Now, sinful zeal arises from an ignorance of God's righteousness, if we can summarize what this text teaches us. An ignorance of God's righteousness combined with the belief that one's own lawful works can establish one's own righteousness before God. This is where the sinful zeal comes from. You see, they don't understand people caught in this, and it's all around us, it's in you, it's in me. We forget or we don't understand, we're ignorant of the truth that God's righteousness, His standard, is perfection. It is sinlessness, purity. It is constant, unwavering, selfless love towards others. And it cannot ever be obtained by human effort, uh, by a fallen sinner. Our sin prevents us from ever obtaining to God's righteousness through human effort. Romans 3, Paul mentions earlier in the book of Romans, now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So this was, we were told about the Lord our righteousness in the old covenant writings. Going on with Romans 3, but even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, the Sadducees do not understand this invincible reality. And so, these ignorant Jews and those like them set off on a futile quest to establish their own righteousness before God. And they want to do this through following the law of God. So, The law of God is good, but they're putting it to use in a sinful fashion. Now, we could debate whether the Sadducees actually held to the law of God, but the self-righteousness in view that we particularly need to watch out for is this idea that we bring God's righteousness upon ourselves through following the law of God. We mischaracterize sanctification when we do this. So what we see here at bottom is that the sinful zeal that we're encountering here with these Sadducees is driven by self-righteousness. It's driven by self-righteousness. And this is very dangerous to the church, but if you think about it, in the long run, like Paul, we would pray for them to be saved because it's most dangerous to the self-righteous ones who never repent and find themselves before God without the righteousness of God. So this deception about the source of righteousness before God 
it leads, we see in the text in Romans 3, and in Romans, in Romans 10, in Romans 10, it leads to a refusal to submit, we're told, a refusal to submit to the righteousness of God. Which is to say, really, it is a refusal to submit to Christ's provision of God's righteousness to us by faith and by faith alone. The Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders are in full all-out rebellion against the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. To everyone who believes is what the text says in Romans 10.4. So the rebellion against God and His church, understand this, it is a refusal to submit to the gospel. A refusal to admit that saving righteousness via our own works is impossible. It is a refusal to admit that. And this refusal to admit that is because their entire religion is built on this belief. Their control, their power, their ability to have everything they have hinges on the people believing that they cannot get to heaven unless they follow these rules perfectly. They cannot have their sins washed away unless they follow these rules. They cannot be righteous before God unless they follow these rules. Now, Paul at one time had sinful zeal against the church before his conversion. In Philippians 3, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. So you see another way of characterizing this. These apostate Jewish leaders are having confidence in the flesh. Paul talking, going on, says, and I, If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So Paul's laying it out there about what the best kind of zeal was back before he was converted. How do you show your zeal the most? You persecute God's church. He believed he was doing God's will. These Jewish leaders, while it's bound up in their envy, it's likely they also believed in their mind that they were doing God's will. Commentary says, indignation or zeal, which is the best when kindled as the fire on the altar, from heaven, regularly acting for God's truth and word, and the worst, when inflamed by carnal affections and set upon wrong objects for self ends. So there's a, there's a fire that is meant to burn inside the heart of every human being. Every human being made in God's image, we are designed to burn with the fire of zeal for Him, for His glory, for His kingdom, for His ways. And apart from Him, brought into falsehood, that zeal will be misinformed. It will be misdirected. And it's always dangerous, but it's especially dangerous, as we see in today's text, when it's misdirected. And, you know, really, these, these apostate Jews represent religion. They represent religion that has gone astray, true religion that has gone astray. So it's very dangerous when this happens. We see what happened at that time. And it's dangerous to the church, but as I've said already, it's most dangerous to the Sadducees themselves. What about godly zeal? This is what uh, we want to have. We want to have zeal. We don't want to be absent zeal. The answer to ungodly, sinful zeal is not to be passionless. That's not the answer. We're not Stoics. We should have the most zeal. We should have the greatest passion of anyone on earth. Because of who Jesus is, and because of what He has done for us, and because of we want, because of what we want for His glory in the earth, for His name to be praised, and for others to know the same deliverance that He has brought to us. So, what about godly zeal? Well, let's look at the Lord Jesus Christ. We have some examples. Jesus was zealous in John two. Now, the Passover of the, Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. 
When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So we want to be eaten up with zeal like Jesus was. So today's sermon is is not a call to not be zealous. In fact, if anything, I think we we could all have the fire turned up a notch, I think. We see also the zeal of God in heaven. Listen to Hebrews 10 in the context of God's vengeance and his judgment. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so God in heaven has this, what's called fiery zeal, in the expression of his judgment and his vengeance. In 2 Corinthians, we're given an example of zeal in God's people. And we'll see another example today as we go through the remainder of the text. Listen to 2 Corinthians 7. Now, I rejoice not that you were made sorry, so this is the church at Corinth, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. And now he's about to show the fruits of godly sorrow, the fruits of repentance. And listen to these things. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So we see that passion, this fire, this zeal to do God's will in God's people is a good thing. And we see here it's connected to Real repentance over our sins. Sinful zeal is, is, does not stay inside. Just like godly zeal does not stay inside. And so we see it displayed in verse 18. And laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. It is dangerous to, have, to be sinfully zealous. Dangerous to the church. Dangerous to yourself. So what happens when this deceived zeal overflows? The apostate Jewish leaders misuse their power and attack God and His church. It's dangerous when anybody is like this. It's particularly dangerous whenever it's someone who's in a place of authority and power. This idea of selfish zeal may also contain the concept of envy, as we've discussed. They did not want to lose their position of power, influence, and wealth. So they desire to shut this movement down immediately and they're ready to take it to another level. Talking about this, the commentary says to put a disgrace upon them and therefore they chose to clap them up in the common prison that being thus vilified, the people might not, as they had done, magnify them. Satan has carried carried on his design against the gospel very much by making the preachers and professors of it appear despicable. So it's it's another example of persecution. We've seen it already in the church. But the Lord's zeal is greater. And He demonstrates His zeal immediately in this particular situation. Verses 19 and 20. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So behind the scene here, we see the comparison between the zeal of these leaders who've set themselves up against Christ 
and the zeal of Christ himself. While the leaders of the lost Jews scheme and use their earthly powers, the Lord's pure zeal accomplishes his plans through his matchless might. Maybe you thought about this scripture as well, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And it ends with this, this sentence. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So part of the message from today, from today is that the Lord doesn't need your zeal. You need the Lord's zeal. That's how we have to think about this. We think that we need to bring our own zeal into the situation in order to accomplish things for the Lord. Not so. We just need to share in His zeal. The Sadducees had their servants arrest and imprison the apostles in a prison typically strong enough to hold them if only earthly zeal and might are in view. But the Sadducees did not account for the zeal and the power of the risen Christ and his Father poured out from heaven. Again, all the themes of Psalm 2 are given again in view for us today. We need to hear it again. They had prayed according to it, and as we've already said, we'll continue to see throughout the course of the book of Acts God answering that prayer to stretch forth his hand and to heal and to perform mighty signs and wonders and to give them boldness to preach the gospel. Over and over again we see this. And these foolish Jews and the Romans over time set themselves against the gospel as well. Listen to Psalm 2 again, brothers and sisters. And you know, this is one worth memorizing for sure, for sure. Why the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. There's definitely a message here in this text today for rulers of all sorts, particularly civil rulers. And they need to be warned to submit to Christ and to do his will. Commentary says, the apostles are discharged, legally discharged from their imprisonment. The angel of the Lord by night, in spite of all the locks and bars that were upon them, opened the prison doors, and in spite of all the vigilance and resolution of the keepers that stood without before the doors, they brought forth the prisoners, gave them authority to go out without crime, and led them through all opposition. This deliverance is not so particularly related as that of Peter, but the miracle here was the very same. That's from chapter 12. We'll look at it later. Note, there is no prison so dark, so strong, but God can both visit his people in it and if he please, fetch them out of it. This discharge of the apostles out of prison by an angel was a resemblance of Christ's resurrection and his discharge out of the prison of the grave and would help to confirm the apostles' preaching of it. I mean, think about what they were going through when they were placed, all of them, in prison. They knew the command that they'd been given, but certainly they're wondering. They're wondering, what do we do now? You see, the purpose of the imprisonment was to silence the spread of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even the commandment they had been given did talk about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, starting at Jerusalem and then to Judea. So 
you can see biblical ideas that might be going through their mind about, hey, it's time to leave Jerusalem. But no, the purpose of their miraculous freedom is to continue the mission that Jesus gave them right there in Jerusalem at the temple. Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. They're not done with Jerusalem yet. And you can see that would be a reasonable curiosity in their mind. Is it time to leave? Commentary says they are charged and legally charged to go on with their work so as thereby go to be discharged from the prohibition which the high priest laid them under. And that is another legitimate consideration they'd have to work through. They had been commanded not to share the gospel. Now they're placed in jail for doing it. And certainly there'd be these doubts in their minds like, well, maybe this is God's way of showing us that maybe we, we shouldn't have been doing this. So you can see all the potential for doubt. Back to the commentary. The angel bade them, go, stand, and speak in the tem temple to the people all the words of this life. When they were miraculously set at liberty, they must not think it was that they might save their lives by making their escape out of the hands of their enemies. No, it was that they might go on with their work with so much the more boldness. Recoveries from sickness, releases out of trouble, are granted us and are to be looked upon by us as granted, not that we may enjoy the comforts of our life, but that God may be honored with the services of our life. And certainly that would have been the basis of all their temptations, which would be to head back to Galilee. And this is, you know, this, they scattered just months earlier. <clears throat> they need encouragement in God in His zeal. Delivers them in a mighty way and encourages them with His commandment. Making it clear again to them. Isn't that beautiful? Give, you know, because sometimes you don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. God tells them exactly, like he gives them coordinates. <laughs> Go here, say this. That's a really nice thing, isn't it? When you have that kind of understanding of God's calling in your life. And that leads to the zeal of God's beloved in verse 21. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and they taught. So they share in Christ's zeal at this point in time. They love the Lord Jesus Christ. They are grateful to him. And they're not afraid to die. They know that death may be coming their way. They're not afraid to be put in prison. So they're not afraid of death because they know they'll be resurrected. They're not afraid of prison because they know God can take them out. They're, they're not afraid to not have any food because they know God can give bread from heaven. I mean, on and on and on. They know that God is going to care for them as they do his will. And they love him. They love him. They want to do his will. And, and if they do suffer in that context, they're actually going to count it as a blessing because they're commanded to. The miraculous boldness of the, apostle, of the apostles deserves our meditation, brothers and sisters. They obey the angel's voice. You know, it seems easy to us probably looking back. I mean, it was an angel. They were in prison. But, man, they're right there in Jerusalem. They're surrounded by the Sanhedrin. And, the, and they know that these people put Jesus to death. They do not run away even though they're facing the same human institutions that murdered Jesus just months earlier. They are not controlled by the threats against them. And, you know, this is really important for us. Will you be controlled by the threats that this world brings against you? These believers have a passion that flows from knowledge of Christ, knowledge of His life and of His death upon the cross, what He went through. Knowledge of His resurrection from the dead, that God raised Him up from the dead. Knowledge of His ascension. Knowledge that God the Father placed Him at His Father's right hand. Knowledge that He is pouring out His Holy Spirit upon them in unprecedented ways at this point in history. And they are zealous to obey His commands. May this be true of us. Amen. May this be true of all of God's people in the world today. Commentary says, when they heard this, when they heard that it was the will of God that they should continue to preach in the temple, they returned. It was a great satisfaction to them to have the, these fresh orders. Perhaps they began to question whether, if they had their liberty, they should preach as publicly in the temple as they had done because they had been told when they were persecuted in one city to flee to another. But now that the angel ordered them to go preach in the temple, their way was plain. 
And they ventured without any difficulty, entered into the temple, and feared not the face of man. Note, if we may but be satisfied concerning our duty, our business is to keep close to this, and then we may cheerfully trust God with our safety. Going on with my own words now. But if we focus upon our safety, we will never find our duty. Somebody said, I'm, in, I'm as safe in bed as I am in battle. And those words are true. When you are doing your duty, walking in the place that God has placed you, you are as safe as in your very bed. And may this deep bedrock reality grip us as we're living in this world. That the zeal of the Lord Jesus Christ will accomplish this and no one can take us off this earth. No one can take one dollar from our bank account. No one can take one bit of our clothing. No one can harm anyone we love apart from the approval of our Father in heaven. And in fact, it would be according to his foreordained will. So, we may cheerfully trust God with our safety. Stick close to our duty. Okay. Verse 21 shows us the futility of rebellion against God. And of course, the text goes on and gives some more of the details of that futility. We'll look at that next week. The high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent, and sent to the prison to have them brought. <laughs> they are so... Mm, aren't they so threatening? And they're so ready to show the world how strong they are and they've got an empty prison. <laughs> At that very moment, when they're, when they're ready to tell the punchline, there's a different punchline. The forces of self-righteous zeal, here and always, go forward with their plan so self-certain, so self-satisfied that Mmm, they've got it figured out. Aha, aha. Not aware that they are searching the prison in vain. Not aware that they have no power to seize or imprison unless granted by God. As we've read in Psalm 2, they plot in vain. And that is true for every rebel against God. They plot in vain. At this point in time, the, apparently the Sadducees have even expanded their court, hoping to bring down much greater fear and punishment. This time, they brought all the leaders together with them at this time. How they were disappointed, commentary says, how they were disappointed and had their faces filled with shame. He that sits in heaven laughs at them. I mean, I do think probably angels were laughing at this point in time. Maybe the same ones that took them out of the prison got to stick around and, and have a knee slap and laugh, really, at, at the expense of the Jewish leaders at this point. Because God in heaven laughs. And I can't imagine he doesn't have his angels laughing with him. And I don't know why we can't laugh now also looking back. Laugh, laugh with the derision of God at these fools who set themselves up against the Lord. They would have us in derision, but by God's grace, they are held in derision. We can't forget that. All right, back to the commentary. He that sits in heaven laughs at them, and so may we too. To see how gravely the court is set. And we may suppose the high priest makes a solemn speech to them. This is funny. Setting forth the occasion of their coming together. That a very dangerous faction was now lately raised at Jerusalem. By the preaching of the doctrine of Jesus. Which it was needful for the preservation of their church. Which never was in such danger as now. Speedily and effectually to suppress. So he's, you know, the commentary is setting the stage for you. Of the vanity of what they're doing. That it was now in the power of their hands to do it. For he had the ringleaders of the faction now in the common pr prison to be proceeded against if they would but agree to it with the utmost severity. An officer is, in order hereunto, dispatched immediately to fetch the prisoners to the, to the bar. Oh, but see how they are baffled. So this should bring great encouragement to us as always. But the focus of our application questions is going to be a goal to, to bring home some self-examination in terms of our own zeal and our own passion. So here's a question I want you to consider, and I alluded to it briefly in the sermon. 
does the current state of your personal sanctification determine whether you possess the righteousness of God? Whether, whether you are righteous in God's eyes? Okay. What do you think? It doesn't, does it? Okay, now we all know this in our minds, but now I want to take it to a deeper level. Does your heart believe this? Or, or do you only find yourself confident before the throne of grace after a good day? You know? Maybe you had a really good day and you can't think of like a time where you broke one of God's commandments. I don't know what day that might be. But maybe you had a day like that one time and maybe that's the only time that you feel like you're actually welcome before God's throne. Okay, so we have to watch out for this. Right? We have to have a right response to our sinfulness in this life. And one of those responses that we must ever and forever guard against is believing that the righteousness of Christ that was placed upon us at His death and at His resurrection is in any way dependent upon our own faithfulness. Amen. We must reject that. If we do not, we will live in our own mind and help develop a culture that is not pleasing to God. May we be delivered from it. In fact, the teaching at that time, the prevalent Jewish teaching was that you did get into the kingdom of God through God's grace, but you stayed in the kingdom through God's grace plus your own works. And it's called covenantal nomism, and it's, it's a distortion of the gospel. And it's a tricky distortion of the gospel that we have to watch out for. Okay, so how do you receive God's righteousness as your very own? Okay? Well, it's called the righteousness that is by faith. It's the righteousness that is by faith. So the righteousness of God becomes your very own by trusting Christ as the spotless Lamb of God. And I chose spotless Lamb on purpose. He is the Lamb of God. We read today about Him being the propitiation, the mercy seat, the one who brings satisfaction to God for our sins. So you trust in Him, and He is the atonement for your sins. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, and until you take your last breath. Also, he is spotless. He is your spotless covering by faith. His robes for mine. Isn't that a wonderful hymn that we sing? So, once you are brought into the kingdom by God, and He breathes His life into you, and He makes you one of His own, He gives you faith, He unites you with Jesus Christ, these two things happen. He washes away your sins, and He robes you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now listen, that's a done deal. You don't need to work on either of those things anymore. It is all done. So what I say is wake up every morning. Go to bed every evening rejoicing in these great realities. Giving thanks to God for what He has done. What He has granted to you in Christ. Don't try to improve it. Don't try to dress it up. Don't try to make it better than it is. You can't. And don't think that it in any way depends upon your faithfulness today. When we are faithless, He is still faithful. Can we disappoint Him? Can we grieve our Father in Heaven? Yes. Can we quench the Spirit? Yes. Does that ever take away our righteousness that is ours in Christ before Him? Never, ever, ever. Let that sink in. Because this is where zeal comes from. What kind of zeal flows from faith in Christ? What kind of zeal flows from being, what does faith do? It unites us to Christ. What kind of zeal is going to flow? What kind of passion? What kind of fire is going to be lit in the heart of someone who's informed biblically about the source of their righteousness? 
So it's according to knowledge now. Well, it's going to be informed. It's going to be biblical. It's going to be according to knowledge. And it's going to be their desire to have their zeal according to God's knowledge, not just in terms of their salvation, but in terms of every question of ethics and living in this life. They, they, want, to be, they want to have Christ's mind. They have zeal to find out what Christ thinks about everything, about what Christ feels about everything. What does this zeal do? What does this passion do? It builds up the church. It strengthens the church. In contrast to what we see with the self-righteous zeal, the zeal from Christ, brothers and sisters, you will strengthen the church. That means you'll be a source of building up relationships around you. We speak of the church as this grand temple that Christ is building. And if you think about the forces of physics at work in the building of a grand structure, there's two at least that I can think of. I don't know if there's any more. Gravity and then whatever forces you bring to bear to hold the pieces together. Well, if we think about it, gravity is our shared faith. It's what holds us down, keeps us grounded. And if you will, what holds the pieces together, the mortar, is our love for each other. The love that God gives to us. So zeal, informed biblical zeal, builds up the church, values the church. Next, it advances God's kingdom. When you are passionate and when you are speaking and moving and the fire is in you, are you advancing God's kingdom? Are you building up His church? Are you strengthening relationships? Are you glorifying His name? Are you seeking His glory? The next thing that happens is obedience to the Lord. It goes back to what I said before, wanting to know Christ's mind in all things. We will seek perfection like Jesus told us to. Will we ever get there? No. But Jesus said, what did he say? Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So we can never make an excuse and say, oh, we'll never get there, so you stop trying. No. We are to pursue holiness. I mentioned this already. The zeal that is Christ's zeal in us, it always accompanies love. Love is never cold and distant amongst Christians. There's always the heat and the light of Christ, the fire gives us heat, gives us light, gives us warmth for one another and for the work that we do together. And next, it's filled with hope. When we have this zeal, it not only looks back to who Christ is, looks to where he is now and what he's doing, but it looks to where he's taking us. It looks to where he's taking his church. And so we can be, we can be confident. So this zeal is constantly being fed by who Jesus is, where he's taking the world, and the joy of loving and doing His will in real time. Faith, hope, and love. So with this in mind, we have to ask ourselves, what kind of zeal flows from self-righteousness? We see it amongst the Sadducees. And you know, in today's world, if you're passionate about something, that's about all it takes to make a lot of money and convince a lot of people that what you're saying is true. Right? I mean, the debate on the Senate floor over whether to protect human life or not was a perfect example of this. They were constantly respecting one another's passion. Well, really? I mean, should we? Should we be swayed by another person's passion? We should be swayed by Christ's passion, Christ's thoughts, Christ's heart, Christ's mission. Along with those others who are swayed by the same thing. And help one another in that path. So the, think about it. The zeal that flows from self-righteousness, it's going to be ignorant. right? It's going to be deceived. It's going to be unbiblical. It's going to be self-focused. It's going to be self-advancing. It's going to hurt the church. It's going to damage relationships. It's going to divide the church. It's going to hinder the kingdom's work. And it's going to lead to disobedience and self-advancement. And it's going to be filled up with anger and despair every time you bump into something that doesn't go the way you want it to go. 
And I've, I've confessed this to y'all, that this has been a part of my life as a pastor, as a pastor of this church, caring too much about my own reputation, right? And having a zeal and a passion that flows from wanting to make sure you guys are sitting here on Sunday, you know, because of how it makes me look when you're here, right? That's sinful zeal, right? That's not good, right? And we could give other examples, and I hope you will examine yourself and look for this kind of self-focused zeal that can flow forth. And, you know, it'll be very hard to spot because, as Paul already said, as we've heard from Paul, this is zeal for God, right? So it can be easily blended in with good things. It can take time to spot it and identify it. May God deliver us from that, amen? May we all be delivered from this. So whose zeal matters the most? You know the answer. I mean, his zeal is pure and perfect and on target all day long, every day, through to the final moment of history. May we share in his zeal and then we'll have godly zeal. And we will obey him and we'll have peace and we'll have perseverance. We won't get frustrated when things don't go. Like he he gives us passion to see a good law passed in South Carolina regarding abortion. And hey, it's not happening. How do you respond? He'll give us just peace and perseverance to just do his will with passion all along the way. And when we hit these impediments, we don't know what he's going to do, right? We don't know whether he's going to give victory and the things that he grants us passion towards, but we know our duty. We know our duty. Men, you have a duty to be a good husband. You have a duty to be a good father. Women, you have a duty to be a good wife and a good mom. Children, you have a duty to obey your mom and dad, to honor them, and to love your siblings inside the home, and to work hard to grow up in Christ while you're in the home. We could go on, couldn't we? These are the basic duties of life that God has given to us. And when we walk with zeal and passion into these things, we can be confident that as we seek first the kingdom of God, He will grant all these things to us. So may the Lord bless us with Christ's zeal, with His mind, with His heart, and with His passion, so that we'll go forth for His glory in all that we say and all that we do. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we acknowledge, Lord, that we are uh, selfish sinners like the Sadducees and that in our flesh, Lord, that we want to build our own kingdom and we'll be oh so passionate about our own reputations and our own advancement. Oh God, have mercy on us and deliver us from this and instead bring us into the glorious zeal of Christ our Savior, the zeal that burns in His holy heart upon the throne at this very moment. Bring us into this passion that is biblically informed, that is filled with faith and hope and love and that builds up your church and advances your kingdom and always brings forth light and warmth in keeping with who Jesus Christ is. Oh, we praise you and thank you, Lord. Amen.